The Daily Rios Digest, January 23, 2022. Movie Monday. Last Digest, I gave my comments on the original Matrix trilogy, and now I have watched Matrix Resurrections. And if you heard that segment on the trilogy, you know that I I missed some of the originality of the first installment. The questions, the larger examination of what the Matrix is and what that means for the, for the world around these characters. I felt like the second and third chapters really pushed the action angle more than some of the philosophical stuff, I guess you could say. Watching Matrix Resurrections, I feel like things are back to form to that first chapter. There's a lot of questioning of reality, a lot of questioning about what is and what isn't important, and what people find important when it comes to entertainment or distractions around them. Um, There's definitely the whole duality of Neo and Trinity back in play. And one of the questions I had was, what does peace mean now between humans and machines? And a lot of that was explored as well. Now, you could really strip down the plot to this movie as just being another rescue uh, story. But again, I felt like it gave me a lot of what I was missing from chapters two and three of the trilogy. So I walked away liking this movie a lot. And I don't, I think people are kind of split about, you know, what this movie wanted to do versus what they thought it should do, or maybe even uh, just the execution of the story. And some people are saying, you know, way too many echoes of, of the original trilogy and that it's just beating familiar territory, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I found it to be, um, the, the chapter that I wanted, the, the, the parts that were missing from two and three, uh, all came together here and I, I, I really did like it. Um, it's absolutely campy at times. It still has a lot of the, it holds the mirror up to a lot of the conversations that we're having about our entertainment and how we absorb entertainment, and especially when you throw in things like social media and short attention spans. I mean, this is a conversation we've been having for, you know, probably a decade or more. Um, It's meant to play on your memories of the original trilogy, uh, familiar shots and familiar sequences, especially the first Matrix movie. Uh, so I'm really glad that I did a, re- a rewatch because I could pick up on all of that. Um, does it say anything? Does it try to say something? Sure. Is it a little messy? Absolutely. It's even, I wrote here in my notes, it's even old in its newness, right? But we live in this. I mean, that's one of the questions that's being brought up early on in the movie is is the idea of sequels and reboots and rehashes. I mean... We live that in our comic books every year, and it's been part of entertainment for a long time now. You know, Cobra Kai and all these Star Wars movies and Fuller House and, you know, 
just people bring i think they're even going to do a sequel to a christmas story of all things yikes so i feel like the movie knows going in that that kind of commentary was going to happen about it and so it went ahead and talked about it before we could talk about it you know um in terms of breaking new ground or finding new ways to film sequences and things like that uh, I read a review where, let me find it in my notes, they said, um, this attempt at deep meta commentary seems to come at the expense of the fight scenes, something that the franchise was up to this point known for. And while that's true, especially after watching, you know, these movies again, um, I don't know, I... I remember the first one striking out to everybody because it was just so different. Not only the fight scenes, but just everything about it felt new, even if we didn't know where all the inspirations were coming from. And it felt like it was asking questions, and it felt like it was... We sat there, we were expecting some kind of movie, we got something totally different, making us question the world around us, and uh, you know, walked out of there going, wow, what did we see? So I don't think it was just about the fight scenes. I think there, I think it was about more than that. And I don't think this movie shortchanged any of the action stuff. Um, now, it was probably, you know, we were probably thinking, okay, what kind of new things are we going to see? I can, ex- I can expect that, or I can forgive that. Um, a lot of those large ac- action action sequences, especially near the end, You know, there's that whole thing about, there's a meme going around about, oh, I don't know, photographs that people take and then someone says, wow, that looks like a Renaissance painting. You know, whether it's like a car accident scene or some uh, basketball player falling into the crowd and and then they put a caption on it. It's like, wow, this is like a Baroque painting. You know, that was going on. That was absolutely going on with some of the larger fight scenes so that you could really see layers and layers of people fighting and moving and debris and explosions and it was like a moving painting and those moments uh i thought were great you know the whole cafe fight at the end um there were people who didn't exactly like that neo was using a lot of his powers to shunt people away kind of like he was using the force uh but i don't know i was like wait a minute that was something that Okay, so if you really loved the action sequences and the fight sequences in the original trilogy or the original movie, and Neo certainly uh, puts a capper on it by saying, you know, wow, I know Kung Fu, and he even says it in here. Wow, I still know Kung Fu, right? Really, the awakening for the character and for all of his struggles and for all of the wishes that everybody was putting on him, it came about when he could just simply raise a hand and stop bullets. And then in the, sec- in the second movie, he could raise a hand and stop the machines. And if they're calling him the one and, and they're saying that he can do things that nobody else can do, then no, he shouldn't be just hand-to-hand fighting. He shouldn't be hand-to-hand fighting all the time. There should be something different. He should be something more. And, um, you know, it, it brought to mind, I'm probably going to mix this up. This isn't really what I'm trying to say. But, you know, in Cobra Kai, in the Karate Kid movies, you know, Miyagi's always saying the best line of defense is not to be there. And in a way, that's what Neo's doing. He's just making his opponent not be there. 
if you want to take it a little further, if he's this heightened being, this enlightened person, why would he just go through elaborate fight choreography when he can just remove people from the playing field? Um, I'm watching, I'm doing a, a very large watch and rewatch of Star Wars. Um, you know, it's not a franchise that I talk about a lot. And I'm doing the uh, chronology, the story chronology versions, which mean version, which means I'm watching the movies and then putting the cartoons where they need to be put in and then putting the movies where they need to be put in in story order. And I'm at um, Attack of the Clones right now. And there's the big uh, Count Dooku and Yoda fight at the end. And, I, you know, I know they always say, you know, uh, you know, the Jedis, we we have a, the lightsabers. It's an elegant weapon for a more civilized age. But really, when you watch that fight and when you watch some of those fights, it feels very performative. It feels like they're just, it's like if you really want to kill each other, just kill each other. Why are we going through this dance, if you will? And that's how he felt about um, that comment that Neo shouldn't be using his powers that way or that it was boring. But, you know, what not that way? Isn't that what you would want? I mean, he's a man conflicted. He doesn't want to fight. I actually like that about Keanu Reeves' performances, performance this time around is that um, there, there always was an uncertainty for the character in the first movie. And it's there in the second and third movie, but they want to put him in all these, you know, elaborate scenes and they want to show him flying and doing all this stuff. But he got back to this kind of introspective, what am I doing in this situation feel, you know, a man out of time, a man out of water, whatever. Um, and I like that. I really like that he, well, you know, he's not the main focus of the story, but even as he is, even though he is the main focus, he himself doesn't feel that way either. So you put those certain powers on top of him, and that helps to push that narrative with that character. So what else? Um, Neil Patrick Harris doesn't quite work for me in this story in the way that they use him. And I think that's intentional, right? He's such a present kind of actor in entertainment. I mean, whether you know him from TV shows or movies or theater or hosting award shows or commercials or whatever, he has a persona, a very larger than life persona. It's like watching a movie and then an actor shows up in the movie, but they are just playing themselves. Like Bruce Willis in Ocean's 12 or or when they got to that point with William Shatner where just including William Shatner in a commercial or uh, a TV show or movie or SNL, whatever, it's because he is William Shatner, right? That's what this felt like here. And then I thought, well, maybe that's intentional. Maybe it's just part of the larger conversation that they have at the beginning of the movie about our expectations and what we want to see. I mean... We're going through this whole thing about James Bond right now, about finding a new James Bond, and everybody's like Idris Elba, Idris Elba, Idris Elba. Even though Idris Elba doesn't want to do it and has said he does not want to be a black James Bond. He wants to, you know, if he's going to do anything, he wants to do his own thing. And I feel like that's a lot of the audience's um, expectations when it comes to casting. They want to cast the same actors in different genres, in different shows within the same genre, which is boring. Because there's, there's just no individuality that way, right? 
So Neil Patrick, Patrick Harris is here, and I felt like I was like, ooh, is that the right choice? And then more I thought about it, it was like, well, maybe that's the reaction they want. You know, maybe they don't want me to like that he's in the movie. So, so there's that. Um, obviously, they had some time to think about what kind of movie they wanted to do, and they wanted to do it before anybody else did it. And I can see why people didn't enjoy it or maybe thought it was going to be something else. But I I really liked it, and um, especially the whole thing that I was talking about last digest about this connection between Neo and Trinity and how the two really should form the third or be be part of the one. And it just makes sense, and that's something that they obviously played with here. Uh, so I, I liked it. I really, I did. I enjoyed this movie. I'm not saying it's the best of the of the franchise, and I'm not saying it, they couldn't have done something different. I just, I appreciate, I sat back and I appreciated what the movie was, and it answered the questions that I had and the concerns that I had, and to me, that made it very successful. You know, from from minute one to minute 100 and whatever, I was far more engaged in this movie than I was the third movie, maybe even some of the second movies. So to me, that's a win. You have no right to wear that symbol. And you do? This just gets better and better. I get to kill Batman, Robin, and Batgirl all in the same night. My rep is made, boys, made! Cops are coming, kill him off. Get us out of here. And so it became official. Now, I am Batgirl. Best of 2021, Part 2. So I put a call out for listeners to provide categories of things they want to hear about concerning comics from 2021. Kind of like a best of, kind of like a favorites of, but I want categories that were fun, silly, or just different from the usual ones that you've, uh, you know, that you usually hear on best of lists. This one comes from Mason, and this is a simple question. Any new creators you were excited about in the year 2021? This is a little bit of a cheat because I really took notice of this particular creator in uh, the start of, or somewhere in 2019, and I'm talking about Javier Rodriguez from Spain, and uh, really took notice of this creator because of the history of the Marvel Universe six-issue miniseries by Mark Wade that I am covering with Al Sedano over on his podcast, Resurrections. Um, the reason I'm including Javier Rodriguez in the 2021 category is because I uh, continue to seek out his work or pay attention to where, when and where they use um, his style, whether it's interiors, whether it's a cover, a cover for some omnibus editions. And um, with the Defender series that came out in 2021, I, with Al Ewing, I was just, I was all over it. And I absolutely picked it up because of Javier Rodriguez and... I looked at everything that I purchased in 2021, and I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to give the nod to this creator. Here's a little bit of history for Javier Rodriguez. Um, as I mentioned, from Spain, that's going to be very important. So he was a color artist on Batgirl Year One over Marcos Martin and inker Alvaro Lopez, and that was in 2003. 
um, both Martin and Lopez, also from Spain. And there is a Batgirl Year One motion comic, which was the intro bumper that you heard for this segment. The three of them would then go on to work on the Breach series from DC in 2005. A few issues of that series were was uh, were also drawn by Javier Paludo, and Javier Paludo also born on the Canary Islands. So I started to f- notice this theme about a couple months ago um, as I was exploring where Javier Rodriguez uh, came from in terms of his art and noticed that these, th- these names were always together uh, as penciler, inker, color, colorist, or as some version of this. And um, there's a lot of connections. You know, they're all, they all were born in and around Spain. Some of them attended the University of Fine Arts in Barcelona. Some of them got their starts because of Marvel reprints overseas. Some of them are are included in what they call, I guess, the second or third Spanish comic book invasion. And their art style really feels like it all comes from um, familiar places or similar places. You can also put in this mix people like David Lopez Salvador La Roca and Carlos Pacheco, although those two are from an earlier quote-unquote invasion. Um, Now, Javier Paluto, you might know also from Robin Year One, the miniseries from 2000. Marcos Martin also worked on that one, and Batgirl Year One is considered its sequel. Then you would have Martin, Lopez, and Rodriguez on Doctor Strange, the Oath miniseries from 2007, Uh, Rodriguez would work with Martin on a whole bunch of issues of Amazing Spider-Man. And then comes Daredevil in 2011 by Mark Wade. And now you have uh, Paolo Rivera, and you would have Joe Rivera on inks, and then you would have Rodriguez on colors. But then you would also have Marcos Martin as well, and Chris Chris Somney, who also kind of plays in the same style. Um... Javier Rodriguez started to do pencils and colors on various comics, including Daredevil 28 and 29. And a lot of those creators were on the second volume of Daredevil by Mark Wade. Then Javier uh, Rodriguez did the covers and interiors for various issues of the Spider-Woman series in 2015, including the volume that followed it. And then the inks were by Alvaro Lopez. There's that name again. In 2017, pencils and uh, on various issues of Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer's Supreme, again with Lopez on inks. And then Javier Rodriguez would work on Royals and Exiles, all the way up to Defenders, as I mentioned, in 2021, with again, Lopez on inks. So that particular style, that very fluid style, it, it, it absolutely is a comic book style. It has great design sense. It keeps your eye moving. It's very entertaining. And, you know, when you think of a story like Batgirl Year One and Robin Year One and even Daredevil to a degree, this artwork has a sense that it um, it wants to evoke a different era or at least uh, simulate a certain style, whether you want to call it I don't know, Silver Age, Bronze Age. I think there's a slight nod towards Darwin Cook in it. Um, It's just entertaining, and it's very enjoyable, and it's so fun to look at. 
and it captures a lot of the different characters very well, which is what I think the strength was by using Rodriguez in History of the Marvel Universe, because you're telling the breadth of the history of all of those different characters, and he is a really good way of trying to capture not only the characters, but the eras that they come from. Javier Rodriguez also did the covers for the Marvel Omnibus series, um, where they took all of the books from August 1961 and put them together, and all of the books from June 1962. And again, there, there it is again, you know, evoking that time and evoking what they looked like back then. He has a great way of capturing, you know, what they used to look like in, in Bronze Age and Silver Age comics. So um, I absolutely adore his artwork, and I am always um, happy to see more. And the style, I think, also is um, why people enjoy things like, um, well, first of all, Bruno Redondo on Nightwing, he was definitely an alternate for this category for me. But Bruno Redondo, also from Spain, and has that fluid, um, whimsical style to it. And then there's someone like David Aja, right? So everybody really liked the Hawkeye series from 2012, but you also have to give a nod to the Immortal Iron Fist series in 2007. And again, David Aja from Spain. So all of these creators must have had very uh, fam familiar and similar um, inspirations on what they learned about art and design and storytelling. And it's very clear, even though they are very different in many ways, you can see similarities as well. And I enjoy that. I love that. So Javier Rodriguez, definitely my pick for 2021, an artist that I, um, uh, I really enjoy following. As I mentioned, uh, the same goes for Bruno Redondo and also Yasmin Putri, who is doing Dark Knights of Steel. Uh, just some of the covers that I've seen from Yasmin, just so great. And I follow Yasmin on Instagram. And now, you know, they're getting uh, a chance to do interiors with Dark Knights of Steel. So, so Mason, great question. Thank you for uh, um, providing me with the category so that I could spend time and uh, talk a little bit about Javier Rodriguez. Even your mind is a new page on which I shall write. Arise! Master, I am ready to serve. Then go, my silver surfer. The spaceways beckon. And the great hunger is upon me once more. To me, my boy. New Comics Wednesday. New Comics Wednesday for the week of January 19th. We start with Cursed Pirate Girl, The Devil's Cave by Jeremy Bastion from Boom Studios. In the long-awaited continuation of Cursed Pirate Girl, her loyal companion Pepper Dice reveals that there's still time to bring back her father, the pirate Captain Douglas. If she can escape the Sea King's palace with the bright star, will she be bold enough to enter the Devil's Cave in the hope to bring her father back, or will the Devil Jonah and his minions stop her? $9.99. 
If you've ever seen Jeremy Bastian's artwork, if you've ever seen the Cursed Pirate Girl series, you know that it takes a long time for this stuff to get produced because it is infinitely detailed. It is just amazing to look at. And I don't even remember where we came across Jeremy Bastian's artwork first from the, from the old CGS days. I don't know if it was a convention or through another creator but um, just ex exquisite. This is, first of all, a surprise. I didn't realize that this was coming. And when I saw it in previews, I was like, okay, yeah, I have to have this. So um, if you've never seen it, go check out some previews. It is, it is just beautiful. Uh, from Image Comics, we have Arrowsmith, Behind Enemy Lines, Kurt Busiek, Carlos Pacheco, Jose Rafael Fontarez, Jose Villarubia. It is the return of Arrowsmith, which was a six-issue series from 2003 from Cliffhanger. It's World War I, but a war of wizards and dragons as much as bullets and barbed wire. Young airman Fletcher Arrowsmith plunges back into the heat of war and finds himself behind enemy lines, facing a threat that could doom the Allied powers. There is also going to be a remastered hardcover of the original series on sale in February, this is $3.99, and it is a miniseries. Also from Image, we have Bolero 1 of 5 by Wyatt Kennedy and Luana Vecchio. A woman running away from a broken heart discovers a mother key into parallel universes. The rules are the key can work on any door. The mother will only let you visit 53 universes. Do not ask to speak to the mother and never hop more than 53 times, $5.99. Something about the artwork caught my eye on this one in the previews catalog, and uh, it is now being uh, released, and I look forward to reading it. We have two from Tomorrow's Publishing, Alter Ego 173, a focus on black superheroes in U.S. comic books by comics historian Barry Pearl, and then an in-depth interview with Dr. William Foster III, author of Looking for a Face Like Mine, showcasing a lot of black creators such as Kyle Baker, uh, Dwayne McDuffie, uh, Dennis Cowan, Brian Stelfreeze, and many, many more. And this is edited by Roy Thomas, $10.95. And then the other one is back issue 132, my favorite comic book magazine, all about the 1980s Marvel Limited series, including Wolverine, Black Panther, Falcon, The Punisher, Machine Man, Iceman, Magic, Fantastic Four vs. X-Men, Wolfpack, and so many more. And that one is under a cover recreation of Wolverine Number 1, the miniseries Wolverine Number 1 by Joe Rubenstein. And that is $9.95. Speaking of nostalgia, we have from Marvel Comics Silver Surfer Rebirth, one of five by Ron Mars, Ron Lim, and Don Ho on inks. Ron, Ron, and Don. Uh, Mars and Lim returning to tell a story set during their time on Silver Surfer. Someone has stolen the reality gem, an object that allows the user to fulfill any wish, no matter the consequences. But whoever has taken it is doing things like bringing back the dead hero, Captain Marvel. So it's up to Silver Surfer to team up with the least likely of allies, Thanos, to find the gem and restore reality to its proper form. $3.99. Any opportunity to get Thanos in a book, right? 
Okay, there you are. Those are your recommendations for the week of January 19th. Comics Inebriate, a podcast about the history of fiction and nonfiction in comics, along with current events, hosted by comic creators Liana Kings and the guest Madamins. So for the Thursday segment of uh, January 20th, today is the day of the release of the Superblog team-up event featuring everything and anything George Perez. And my particular entry is going to be the Daily Rios episode 543, which is probably released by now, obviously. Um, That is the second Zoom celebration panel featuring uh, a whole bunch of fans of George Perez, Chris Beckett, George Hanna, Daryl Patterson, Martheus Wade, all of us talking about George Perez. And I used that as my entry for the theme for this super blog team-up day. And other participants in the event include the Superhero Satellite, Between the Pages, Source Material, The Telltale Mind, In My Not-So-Humble Opinion, Dave's Comic Heroes Blog, Comics, 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 Asterix 51, Chris is on Infinite Earths and Comic Stripped, and a few others. You can go see all of the show links. I will post them in the show notes for the Daily Rios episode 543. I really enjoy being a part of the Superblog team-up. It's a way to cross-promote and to get a whole bunch of people talking about the same theme. For instance, um, we did Immortal, the theme of Immortal, and I covered Arion, the Immortal miniseries. We did a theme of Redemption, and I decided to go with Thanos, the Samaritan story arc by uh, Keith Giffen and Ron Lim. We did Magic, and I covered Doctor Strange Fate from Amalgam, from DC and Marvel's Amalgam line, with art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, written by Ron Mars. And the, uh, the first one I participated in was Villains, where I covered the old Beasts storyline from the first volume of Justice League of America from the early 80s. Now, there have been plenty other themes that I wasn't a part of, but those are the ones that I participated in. And this George Perez one is is just timely and amazing, and I'm, I'm going to go through all of the entries um, because, you know, George is one of my faves, and I really appreciate that people are talking about him. Go look at the links. Go look at the Superblog team-up hashtag. You can also look for the hashtag of SBTU for Superblog team-up. And, um, you know, it's a good way to find some new blogs and find some new podcasts. And, uh, you know, as always, thanks to Charlton Hero of the Superhero Satellite for bringing me into the fold and for coordinating all this. So Superblog team-up, go check it out.
Not much for this Friday wrap-up for this digest. It is my last free Friday. My winter break is sadly over, all six weeks of it. I know, I know, I shouldn't complain. It is back to school on Monday for the spring semester. Uh, That'll be the second semester of my 11th year teaching. Wow. Um, You know, we're going to see how things go going into Philadelphia during this heightened time of everything COVID. Um, I will go back to commuting, you know, driving and training. I do get uh, to to watch some more stuff on the train, listen to more to some more podcasts. So I do enjoy that time. It's not like I don't enjoy commuting. Um, and I have a few more classes this time around. So it's going to be a full schedule, but hopefully it won't interfere with things that I want to do here on the Daily Rios. So yeah, it's the second semester. Um, I have all my normal levels. I get another group of first-year students that I haven't met yet, which is always kind of fun. And um, I guess that means there's also going to be a round of seniors that that uh, I will see for the last time, at least in class. So that'll be sad. Uh, yeah, so, you know, as always, I will let you know if anything interesting happens on my way to and from Philadelphia. Um it allows me to get give me some quiet time to think about, you know, projects and things I want to do and, you know, keeps me keeps me busy, keeps me busy. So I guess it's in a way it's a good thing. You know, this these six weeks of winter um, were, uh, you know, a little slow, but that's OK. I did things that I liked and enjoyed and tried not to put too much of a demand on myself. Um, but I have to say it was quiet and um I found myself to be bored and lacking a little bit in some things. And so it'll be nice to have some social entertainment and some social engagement and to see the city that I love so much. So I will keep you up to date for sure. All right, that has been the digest for this week. Email me, Peter at the Daily Rios. Go to the website, The Daily Rios. Follow the Instagram, The Daily Rios. Follow my Twitter, Peter J. Rios. And uh, by all means, continue to send me some best of categories or some promos so I can play. This has been the Daily Rios episode 544, the 29th Digest, for Sunday, January 23rd, 2022. Talk to you soon. A pleasure to meet you, Marcus. (laughs) Likewise, Keanu. Uh, I love your outfit. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Tom Ford made it custom for me. I I didn't know you wore glasses. I don't. My eyes are perfect. This is for a part. They don't even have lenses in them. See? (laughs) (laughs) I love the suit. Classic. Thank you, thank you. It's my uh, old tux from prom. (laughs) That's great. I dropped out of high school, went to work, followed my dream.